Thank you for listening to this recent message from the Rescue Church. We pray that God will use this message to encourage, challenge, and inspire you on your faith journey. If you'd like to learn more about the Rescue Church, please visit us online at therescuechurch.com. Um, today, this is a very fitting day to talk about the sermon topic we're going to touch on today as we've been going through the book of John. We're getting into John chapter 13 today, and, and the, the main idea is that of serving, being a servant. And it's very fitting, in my opinion, that that subject comes up on Mother's Day because I just think, and I'm not placating when I say this, I really believe it, I believe moms do a much better job than dads in epitomizing the heart of the Father in heaven in terms of their unconditional love and unconditional service to little brats that do not deserve to be unconditionally loved and served most of the time. And so today, like, we're going to see Jesus serve his disciples in John 13, and that's pretty cool, but when we understand some background information behind it, that right before the disciples got served by Jesus, they were having a, a... childish argument about who was the greatest among them so like if there was ever 12 men who did not deserve to be served it was his disciples in this moment and yet we're going to see jesus serve his disciples and so i was thinking as i was preparing this sunday's message like earlier in the week i called my mom and i said hey mom it's mother's day coming up on sunday by the way if you haven't texted your mom you should like right now stop what you're doing and text your mom and tell her happy mother's day but i i called mom and i said it's mother's day and here's what we're preaching about like can you think of a story, mom, like a time where like you served me when I didn't deserve to be served? Or probably I'd say better if it was one of my brothers. Like give me one of their stories, right? Like a time that you served us even though we totally did not deserve to be served. And about 45 minutes later and 30 stories in, I was like, okay, mom, I get it. That's enough. Okay, okay, okay. I'm lucky to be alive standing here today is basically what my mom wanted me to know. So uh, there were too many stories to recount. But just believe me when I say, like, I'm blessed to be standing here today because my mom didn't kill me. And there were many times that she served me when I did not deserve to be served. And we're going to see that today as we open the word of God to John chapter 3. We're going to cover about 17 verses today, and as we read through this scripture, uh, I'm going to just point out some observations as we go. This is not complicated material today, guys. This is very simple to understand, and we'll see at the end, just because we understand it doesn't necessarily mean we obey it, uh, but we're, we're going to see what God has to say to us. I really believe, and you know I say this on a regular basis, but it's not cliche. I honestly believe that God has something He wants to speak into the hearts of people in the Rescue Church this morning. And so if you would, quiet your mind, quiet your heart, push out all the busyness and all the lunch plans and everything that's hectically going on in your week this week and just say, Holy Spirit, like if you've got something for me, I'm listening, I'm here, and and I I want to receive what you would have for me today. So John chapter 13, starting in verse 1, John writes this. He says, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And that's a fancy way of saying Jesus knew he was about to endure hell on earth. Like his time had come. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress. This is what we kind of know as the Last Supper, right? He's having his Last Supper with the disciples. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. 
Now, I just want to pause there real quick, and if you're following along in your handouts, I like to give you notes to either draw or whatever, keep yourself entertained. But here's the first thing I want you to observe is this, if you want to write this down. Jesus loved Judas even though he knew Judas would betray him. We heard John write that Jesus, his hour had come, like it was time for him to go through the very thing that he came to this earth to do. And yet, he loved his disciples all the way up through the end. And here's, I want to just draw this out. Guys, I'm being honest. If that's John, as in this John, if I'm in that story, and if I knew that within a matter of hours, my inner circle of 12 of my closest friends one of them was about to stab me in the back and sell me out for 30 pieces of silver. One of them, just hours after he promised he would die for me, would deny, not once, not twice, but three times that he even knew me, that's Peter, and all the rest of them were going to run off like scared little junior high kids. I, I, I don't think I would be having a last supper. My last supper would have been a long time before that with this group of friends, I don't think I could have sat there with a straight face and served any of these guys, much less loved them. Jesus knew that he was about to face his darkest hour completely alone, that his closest friends would betray, deny, and abandon him, and he still loved them. That's a pretty powerful model for us because we like to make excuses for why we justify our hatred toward other people and our bitterness and unforgiveness toward other people and how we like to hold on to the hurts of people that have hurt us. And Jesus gives us no hiding place. Like he modeled unconditional love right up to the very end to, to men who did not deserve to be loved by Jesus. Because really that's what ultimate love and ultimate grace is. It's giving that other person what they need the most when they deserve it the least. Because that's, that's how God loves us. Keep going. Verse 3, it says this. Jesus knew that the Father had put... I want you, if you've got your Bible open or if you've got your handouts, underline this phrase. Put all things under his power. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. We're going to come back to that. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. If you want to underline that, feel free. He had come from God and he was returning to God. So watch what he does. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Okay, pause the story because some of you just got grossed out. You're like, he did what? And I know if you were here last Sunday, we talked about this whole foot washing thing last week as well, because in John 12, we saw where Mary poured out this very expensive perfume on Jesus' feet. And so we talked about it then, but just by way of refreshing, I'll say it again. In our world, that sounds a little weird. Like, I, I'm not going to ask you to wash my feet. And all God's people said amen. And we'll, I'll talk more about that in just a minute, because some Christians still do that, and that's fine. But w what's going on here with this foot washing thing? Well, in this day and age, it's very simple. The, the roads weren't concrete and, you know, asphalt everywhere people walked. They walked around in sandals on dirt roads. So when it was dry, it was very dusty. When it was wet, it was very muddy. It's a very simple concept. You go into someone's house. Human nature hasn't changed that much over the years. You kind of like to have clean feet when you go into someone's house. And so it was a very common courtesy that was offered to guests coming into your home usually there was a big wash basin by the door and usually that job was relegated to a servant someone that's of lower stature they, they wash the feet of the guests as they come in to your home but it, it was something you did for your guests you offered this service to them 
Who wants to sit down for a meal with dirty, dusty toes? My kids run around all summer long with bare feet, and it drives me nuts. I just hate having dirty feet. And so anyway, um, that, that's what this foot washing thing is all about. It was just a common courtesy. I know that today, as I mentioned earlier, some Christians still practice foot washing. And I'm not mad about that. I don't think you're a heretic if you do that. But I also don't think that you're a heretic if you don't do that, if you say, look, I think this is more of a symbolic thing because in this day and age this was actually meeting a real need so like today when we wash people's feet it's more of a symbolic act of a of a servant's heart totally fine not mad about it i'm just not saying i think it's mandatory and i'll show you even more in a minute why i i believe that from the text that it's meeting a practical need at the moment okay but Here's another observation. Write this down. I, I told you to pay attention to that phrase that the Father had put all things under his power. Here's, here's another thought. Jesus served from a position of confidence, power, and authority. And I'm getting that from the phrase where it says God the Father had put all things under the control of Jesus. He had all authority, not just on earth, but in, in heaven as well. All authority had been given to him. It says he knew where he came from and he knew where he was going. He was confident. This is not someone struggling with some identity issue and a lack of confidence. This is someone with the moral authority, with physical power, with moral power. Like this is somebody who, who has strength. And Jesus was serving others out of a position of strength and power and authority. Why am I making that point? Because I think so often we buy into this lie that says that once I climb to a certain level of strength and power and authority, I don't have to serve anybody anymore. I actually can have people who serve me. And, and we kind of view people who do the foot washing kind of things of our world today, those that serve and see needs, we kind of view them as somehow it's synonymous with weakness and inferiority. I don't want to be a servant. I want to graduate to the point that I can have others serve me because I'm so strong and powerful and confident and have all this authority. Does that like describe the attitude of so many of our leaders around our world today? They don't exist to serve. They exist to be served. And Jesus completely turns that on his head, and he's like, there's no one with more strength, power, and authority than me, and I've never graduated out of a servant's heart. It's from that position of strength and power that I serve other people. Okay, now, here's, here's where it's going to get a little trippy. I kind of alluded to this earlier. John does not say this. He does not include this detail in his gospel, but Luke does. So if we know this little piece of background information... It makes us appreciate all the more that here's Jesus with all this authority, with all this power, with all this strength, serving his disciples. Check this out if you want to write this down. Instead of serving each other, the disciples were actually arguing about who was the what, church? The greatest among them. Luke tells us that in Luke 22, verse 24. That as the disciples are heading to this last supper with Jesus, they're actually having an argument about who is more important, who's superior, who's better than the other people. Now, think about this for a minute, church. Isn't it kind of crazy? Like, we sit here today and go, would grown men really do that? Like, can you imagine walking into the workroom tomorrow, the, the lunchroom at work, and having 12 men having a serious argument about who's better than the other Yet we do it all the time, don't we? 
Sometimes it's just like the disciples, and sometimes it's more sophisticated. Let me tell you the more sophisticated ways that we do this in our world today. We kind of have recognized, like our kindergarten teachers taught us, that's tacky to do it the way the disciples were doing it. So now we're a little more cool in how we compare ourselves and posture for position above one another. We live in a culture that's all about materialism. We live in a culture that's all about whoever has more stuff is obviously more important. And by the way, you want to know a symptom of that? The symptom, we just did a series a few weeks ago, a little mini-series by Dave Ramsey. A symptom is consumer debt. I mean, if you're like the average American who's loaded up with multiple car payments and multiple credit card payments, hey, first of all, welcome to the party. That makes you very normal. But it also says you're trying to tell the world you're doing better than you really are. It's a symptom of a heart thing where you're trying to posture and say, I'm really up here when my finances are actually here and we're buried in debt and we compare, we use the tool of social media. I'm not mad about Facebook. I'm not mad about Twitter. Like those are tools that can be used effectively for good. But I'm telling you, there's two ways we can abuse that. There's probably multiple ways we can abuse that. But, but we can be that guy or that gal that we only show our highlight reel and we posture certain pictures. So we constantly are putting off that air of, we're the perfect family and you're not. And if you really are the perfect family, praise God, just try and add a little dysfunction to social media every once in a while, okay? But, but here's the other danger. Sometimes we're on the other side. We're the person that just keeps consuming that news feed. And we walk away from it going, oh, my life's so boring. Everyone else is going out to eat and on vacation and doing sports and all this stuff. And here I sit. And we compare and we have this jealousy and we have this need to want to be better than. We're constantly doing the exact same thing the disciples were. Don't get me started on youth sports. I'm not mad about your kid being in t-ball or baseball, but I can tell you from my years of coaching those things with my kids, here's what I can tell you is some kids really do love t-ball and baseball and are out there because they want to be. And then there's kids that have zero desire to be on that field. Guess why they're there? Because they got a parent that's in a competition with other parents, and they got to be with that crowd, kid. Sorry, you're going to T-ball. And by the way, if you don't perform tonight, the pros may never pick you up. So there's a lot riding on this, kid. Hope you have fun. It's crazy. Like, we do it in our world today. So when we read this, these 12 disciples were arguing about who is the greatest. We still do it. We still posture. We still pretend. Because if we get high enough on the ladder, I don't have to serve anybody anymore. People can serve me. We would never say that out loud. That sounds so unspiritual when I hear myself say that. But we, we really do believe that in many ways. And then I want you to notice this. Instead of serving each other, the disciples were arguing about who is the greatest. Check this out. What that means is this. Here's 12 men. Watch the timeline. Jesus is getting ready to be crucified. He's getting ready to return to the Father in heaven. He's getting ready to hand the ball of the local church, the New Testament church. He's getting ready to hand it off to his disciples and say, this is on your shoulders. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And here he is at his last supper with this group of men who are about to establish the church. And there are zero servants among them. There's 12 men that are sitting around a table with a bunch of dirty feet and nobody sees the need. Nobody looks around and goes, man, his feet are filthy. Maybe I should humble myself and go offer to serve him. Instead, you've got what's going to become the leadership of the church sitting around arguing about who's more important than who. And Jesus is probably intuitively going, we got a problem. 
Because there is never going to be a church that is built on the backs of self-centered, prideful men. The only way the church of Jesus Christ advances forward is through the sacrifice of servants who see the need, who see others higher than themselves and step in. I'm telling you, we will never build a church, Rescue Church, if you're here for yourself. We will never accomplish the vision and the mission that God has for our church if you are here with the mindset of what's in it for me. What's this church got for me? The only way this church will accomplish the vision that God has set before us is when you understand he is king and Lord and we have been invited and called to serve him and to serve others. That's usually what serving him looks like. It looks like serving others. And that's the kind of church that Jesus, that's the kind of people Jesus will build his church on and Jesus is about to take these kids to, to servant school, right? Like he's getting ready to show them, hey guys, let me model something for you. So let's keep reading. Next verse. Verse 6. says, he came to Simon Peter. So Jesus, he's, he's wrapped a towel around his waist. He's washing their feet. And you got to love Peter. He always says stupid stuff. I love Peter. John has said a lot of stupid things over the years. I'm, I'm like this guy. I say things I, before I think and still learning after 40 years that I got to get better. And so Peter, I just relate to him. He's about to say something stupid. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Peter's so spiritual, like, Jesus, no, you're not going to wash my feet. Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. I'm so holy, Jesus, I won't let you wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. By the way, some commentators say this is kind of a subtle nod toward the, the uh, reality of baptism, that, you know, unless we have our sins washed away through faith in Jesus Christ, and that's demonstrated outwardly through baptism. You know, I don't know if that's really what it is, but it kind of makes sense where he says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Now, watch Peter say something even more dumb. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus, this is comical. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. Let me just pause real quick to, to point out something I said I was going to point out earlier. This is why I think um, that, that the whole, like, this isn't a commandment to literally go wash each other's feet, is because Jesus is telling Peter, the reason I'm washing your feet, it's not symbolic, it's because your feet are dirty, Okay, like Peter, shut up. You don't need a shower and me to wash your hands. Like your feet are dirty and I'm serving you. It, it's, it's meeting a practical need. Like imagine in our world today, you roll up on someone stranded on the side of the road and say you know how to you know, fix a tire and, and, and they're struggling to fix a tire and you roll up behind them and, and you're like, hey, can I offer to wash your feet? <laughs> like, no, in a moment, they need their tire changed. Like, they don't need their feet washed. So anyway, I'm not mad at Christians that symbolically wash each other's feet. That's fine. You want to wash each other's feet? Scrub a dub. That's fine. But I think what's being modeled here is a meeting a practical need in someone's life. And that's what Jesus is doing here. And he's like, Peter, just be quiet. Stop talking. Like, you're clean. I'm just washing your feet. But now watch this. Here's where he's really going to teach the lesson. It says, when he had finished washing their feet, he, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. The teacher's getting ready to speak. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. He's boldly claiming his place as their Lord, as their teacher. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. 
I have set an example, and you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Here's the takeaway. If you want to summarize it, write this down. Jesus commands me to follow his example of serving others. This is not optional, church. He said it to his disciples then, and he's saying it to his followers, to his disciples. Now, this is not optional. If you want to follow me, you must do what you just saw me do. You must serve other people. You must humble yourselves and notice that other people are more important than you. At least in your mind, that's how it needs to be. Put them before myself. Serve others. And don't miss this. This just blew me away this week when I kind of realized... I know earlier I told you Jesus is serving out of a position of strength and power and authority, and that's true, but check this out. He's also serving these guys at his darkest, loneliest hour of his physical human life on earth. 33 years had had come to this moment, and he was about to be abandoned in just a matter of hours. He was going to be arrested, betrayed by his friends, put on trial, condemned to die, beaten, flogged, crucified, mocked, like he was about to end up hanging from a cross. And in that moment of weakness, he served others. This thought hit me this week. Man, modern day Christianity, I can only imagine the phone calls John would begin to get if one of our people had a crucifixion coming up this weekend. See, John, I got a crucifixion, so I just need a break. I've got to stop everything I'm doing. I'm going to the dentist on Friday. I should probably stop in the nursery for the next six months. In his weakest moment, Jesus is still serving. I heard something interesting this week. I was listening to a podcast, and someone was talking about his conversation with a, uh, like a expert in clinical psychology and and issues dealing with mental health and mental illness. And, and this person asked this dude this question. They said, what would you tell someone who's struggling with mental health issues and is, they know they're on the verge of like a panic attack or, or some, some kind of thing that they're struggling with? What would you tell them? And I'm fully expecting to hear this guy say, man, get your meds, get to the psychiatrist as quick as you can. Like, and you know what he said? He said, here's what I would tell that person. Go out right now and find someone who is worse off than you and serve them. This wasn't the Bible he's preaching. This is the reality that when we take the focus off of ourselves, and we notice that, you know what, there's other people around me who are suffering and who have needs, and I begin to serve and meet their needs. It's amazing what restorative work that does for my own soul. And here in his weakest, darkest, loneliest hour, Jesus is not just serving, he's serving people who are about to betray deny and abandon him unbelievable now last verse we're going to get to last verse verse 17 jesus said now that you know these things you will be blessed notice the conditional word if what church if you what do them jesus just got done taking his disciples to servant school he modeled it for him, said, I'm, I'm the teacher, I'm the Lord. I have every right to be served by you, but if I, as your teacher and Lord, can humble myself and serve others, now you've seen me do it, now you do it. 
I'm commanding you to follow in my example. If you're really my servant, you will do what you just saw me do for others. And then he wraps it up by saying this. And if you want to write it down, let's just summarize it right here. Here's, here's the summary. is The blessing of God comes not from just knowing the truth, but putting the truth into action. That's just me saying Jesus' words a little differently where he says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you have a Bible study and memorize a verse and talk about how much intellectual head knowledge you have of these things. Is that what he says? He says, you'll be blessed if you do them. If you put action to it. Church, I got to tell you, I've grown up in, in church my entire life. I've grown up in a pastor's home, so I've been around this for a little while. And I cannot tell you how many times just that, with that up-close personal view of how the church works in all of its beauty and in all of its dysfunction as we are uh, an amazing body and family and every family has those members, right, that just make it unique and whatever. I cannot tell you how many times in my life growing up in the church I've heard the calls for we need more Sunday school. We need more Bible studies. We need more small group curriculums. We need more classes that teach. We need to bring people together to memorize scripture. We need more intellectual knowledge of the Bible. And here's what I want you to hear me very clearly. All of that's good stuff. I'm not anti-learning about God. That's very important. Very important to have a developing, growing knowledge of the Lord and the things of God. But I'm here to tell you, years ago I heard this statement and I've, I've witnessed this to be the truth. I heard it said that the average Christian is educated far beyond their obedience. You know what that means? It means we don't really need another Bible study or small group or class or course or curriculum. We need to start doing what we clearly know God has already called us to do. Put into action what the Word of God already, we know and understand it. This is a great example, so let me just bring it right down to where we are today. The Lord Jesus Christ did not bring people to this church this morning. If you're watching online, it's not by coincidence or accident. You're not here just to nod your head in intellectual agreement and go, that's good, now I know more about God. Good sermon, Pastor John, my mind knows more. Jesus brought you here to say, now that you know a few more things, the blessing comes if you do it. So let's just get real practical, and then we'll close with a word of prayer. The, the practical question is this. What are you going to do with the information you just received? Jesus commands us to follow his example of serving other people. Can I just offer two broad categories of where that, the two broad playing fields where that plays out? I believe that absolutely plays out within the local church, so I would ask this question, in what ways are you serving the Lord Jesus Christ in the local church? If, if this isn't your church family, then I just encourage you, find a church or be a part of a church that is preaching the gospel, that's lifting up the name of Jesus, and pour out your gifts and abilities and time and talent and treasure within that church. We're all on the same team. Serve the body of Christ within the local church. That's one playing field. In what ways are you serving the Lord through this church? If this is your church family... Here's, a, here's kind of an uncomfortable question I pose from time to time, but I do not apologize for whatever discomfort it causes in your heart. 
The question is this, if you were to stop serving the Lord in the life of this church in the way that you currently are, would this church even feel it? Would it leave a hole? Would there be a team going, oh my goodness, like man, this person was dynamite. They, they were right there, faithful, serving. Or would the church just keep rolling right on along because the truth be told, you're not really serving the Lord in this church. You're a spectator. You're coming to church with dirty feet every single week hoping someone washes them. What if next Sunday God asked you to pick up the towel in the water basin and go wash some dirty feet? What if he asked you to get your feet right with him before you got here tomorrow? I'm really reading into that analogy now, but you see what I'm doing there? Like, what if the church did not exist for your enjoyment? Oh, this is going to blow some people away. What if the church wasn't a country club where you pay your dues for services rendered? What if the church was actually a living organism under the command of the Lord Jesus Christ to go out into the world with the message of the gospel at great personal expense and sacrifice and service on our part? What if that's actually what the church is supposed to look like? thought that might get an amen or two in the house of God this morning, but whatever, we got work to do. What if the church was about us serving others and not us being served? Secondly, my question is, it's not all about just doing something in the church. My question is, in what ways are you serving others beyond the walls of your local church? One thing I just want to say, just because y'all didn't holler amen, just know that I get it. Like, we've got some great people here that are serving the Lord in our church and beyond the walls of our church. And it warms my heart as a pastor when I just hear these little random stories come across my radar every once in a while of how the people of this church are out in this community and the communities where we're serving and they're just impacting lives in little ways, simple ways. What does that look like for you before we all just applaud ourselves as a, as a church? What, what about you? Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed when you do them. So I always like to land the plane on the runway of our three, kind of our no, grow, go of our vision statement. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I know we didn't really talk a lot about the gospel here today, but before I sign off in prayer, if you're joining us from anywhere and you've never invited Jesus Christ to be your personal Lord and Savior, that's where it begins. Faith in Jesus and Him alone. And I would encourage you to take that step of faith today and ask Christ to come into your heart as your Lord and Savior. Do you know Him? Are you growing in Him? Guys, what we're talking about today, this is a grow message. This is, this is how we grow up in the faith. We grow by serving. And we, we serve when we go. So like those are the action steps. I don't know specifically what that looks like in your life, but here's what I can promise you. Church is about to get done. We're all about to go our separate ways. And I promise before the day is done, you're going to have an opportunity to humble yourself and serve others. And if you make it through the day without that opportunity, I promise tomorrow you're going to work where there's a bunch of people who need Jesus. And they come packaged in very abrasive shells that are hard to love. And you're going to have an opportunity not just to know some things about Jesus this week, you're going to have an opportunity to do some Jesus things for others in your life. So what are you going to do with that like this week? Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer today. Father, I thank you for this time that you've given to us. I thank you for this tremendous example, Lord Jesus, that you gave us so clear. You are almighty creator of heaven and earth. You came on the greatest rescue mission of all time and at a time when you honestly should have been getting served in preparation for the greatest trial you would ever endure in your physical life. 
at that time, you're serving selfish, sinful, self-absorbed people you called your friends. Even though they betrayed you, even though they abandoned you, even though they denied you, Lord Jesus, that describes us. We are a sinful people that often betray, deny, and abandon you in the way we talk, and the way we live, and the way we prioritize our life, and, and we just come before you this morning, Jesus, to repent and to declare your goodness of your shed blood over our lives. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, that today would be their moment of salvation, that their eyes would be open not only for their need for you, Lord, but they would take action with that and put their faith and trust in you and call upon your name. And then, Lord, wherever there's hearts in this church, in all of our locations that need to be convicted, Holy Spirit, I just say, have your way in our hearts. Do, do your thing. Start with me, because, Lord, my default setting is not to serve. My default setting is to serve others, and I, I repent of that. I pray that you would just continually mold my heart and the hearts of these people into the likeness of your son, Jesus, that we would follow that example of servanthood this week. We love you. We give you all the praise and the honor and the glory for what you do with this message in our hearts long after we log off of the iCampus, long after we walk out of the doors of our physical locations today, Lord. Please speak to our hearts. Please continue to build your church through the sacrificial service of your people in this place. We love you. It's in your name. We pray these things. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Rescue Church Cast Messages. To hear our messages live, head to one of our physical campuses or check out our iCampus at therescuechurch.tv every Sunday at 10 a.m.